2 Timothy 1, 8 to 18. I want to start with this example. You've probably all seen, seen the picture of the Browns fans who have the bags over their heads. The Browns are a football team, the Cleveland Browns, and, and for many years they've not been a very good football team at all. In fact, they've been a team that their fans are a little bit ashamed of. There's a famous picture that goes around on the internet that they put on, on ESPN a few years ago of, of Browns fans, and they're in the stands, and they have their Browns jerseys on, and it looks like they're proud, except they have a bag over their head with eyes cut out. They're proud enough to wear the jersey, but not to show their face wearing the jersey. Really, they're ashamed of their team. Many of you probably get that sentiment because many of you are uh, Cubs fans. And, and that's not a knock against Cubs fans, because Cubs aren't, aren't are, they've been good in recent years. Rel relatively recent years. <laughs> but for many, many years, Cubs were the joke of the MLB. They couldn't win anything. I come from the South, and, and down South, one of the big rivalries is Duke and North Carolina. And there were years where I was proud to be a North Carolina fan. I would gladly wear my North Carolina gear around, drawing attention. I wanted everyone to know that I was a fan. And there was a years where I would wear my North Carolina stuff around the house, <laughs> not necessarily out in public. There's times when, when we're bold and we want people to know. There's times when we're ashamed and we kind of step back and it's embarrassing. As we come to this passage this evening, we see that there is never a time to be ashamed of the gospel. There's never a time to be ashamed of the God who has saved us. There's never a time to be ashamed of those who faithfully serve him. We come to this passage, we're picking up where Paul left off last week. 2 Timothy, the first uh, seven verses of 2 Timothy 1. You may remember that passage. We talked about the background of, of, of where Paul is writing this from. As Paul writes 2 Timothy, the situation is completely different than when he wrote 1 Timothy. This time, Paul is in chains. He's not just under house arrest like he was as he wrote the prison epistles, as he was as he wrote Philippians. This time, there's no hope of getting out. This time, Paul knows where this is leading. He's going to die. His ministry is coming to a close. So he's writing this, this, this letter with passion, encouraging Timothy, this, this young, he's slightly more mature than he was in 1 Timothy, but still a, a young pastor. If you remember in verse 7, he encourages Timothy. In verse 6 and 7, Therefore I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Stir it up. Keep the flame going. Work to be faithful. Verse 7 goes on, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. We're not called to be fearful, but to be bold. 
He's given us rather a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. As we come to this passage this evening, verses 8 to 18, then Paul moves into a challenge to Timothy. He challenges Timothy. He gives Timothy the example of his own life and then the example of others. He gives three examples. Two who have abandoned him, who have been ashamed, and one who has not. The first thing we see is Paul's challenge to Timothy. It starts out in verse 8, therefore. It's flowing right out of verse 7. Therefore. Because of the gift that God has, call, has given to you, that he's called you to, to, to fan into flame. Because of the spirit that he's given you, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed. What's interesting is in, in this verse, Paul states it negatively and then positively. Don't be ashamed, but do what? Don't be ashamed, but share with me in the suffering of the gospel. To be ashamed of it is to distance yourself, to step away, to disengage. To be unashamed is to participate, to step in, and, and not just to stand on the sidelines, but to, to jump in with both feet, to share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Therefore, because of what God has given you, because of this gift he's given you, because you, you, you have not a spirit of fear, but of power, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. What is that? It's the gospel. The testimony of our Lord is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God sent his only son to die for your sins. To suffer in your place. To take your penalty. That by faith you might be saved. That you might be, have the righteousness of God. Don't be ashamed of that message. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, don't even be ashamed of me, his prisoner. It appears that at this time, both Paul and the message that Paul preaches have, fall in, have fallen into irrepute. It's not something you want to be aligned with. Paul's not someone you want to be aligned with. In fact, right here, Paul, in the message that Paul preaches, the unadulterated, the pure gospel, are very connected. To be ashamed of Paul, the preacher of the gospel, is to be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the message that God has called me to preach. seems that at this time, they, Paul, is, his ministry has fallen on hard times. People are distancing themselves from Paul. People are distancing themselves from his message, the pure gospel. False teachers have come in. Their message has, has grown. Think how frustrating this had to be to Paul at this point in his ministry. A man who has dedicated his life to the gospel, who's been beaten, who has never settled down in one area because he's just, he, he's so dedicated. This man who has spent so much time writing 
letters refuting these false teachers, urging churches to fight against them, to cling to the gospel, the true gospel. And here he is, in prison once again. This time he's in change. This time he knows that the end is near. And this time, it seems that everyone has abandoned him. But he doesn't give up. He's pleading with Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of me, but rather share with me. Share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. I invite you to turn with me over to Philippians. I mentioned Philippians was a passage that, that Paul wrote during his first imprisonment in Rome as he was under house arrest. And in Philippians 2, you find a very similar passage. Philippians 2, verses 27 to 30. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I, I come and see you, right, even right there you can see the difference in his imprisonment. There's still a chance that he can get out and he can come and see them. So whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Now listen to this. This, this is a phenomenal verse. Verse 29. For to you it has been gripped. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. How can suffering be a gift of God? Faith I understand. Faith I can get. Yes, faith is a gift of God. Were it not for the grace of God, I would not have trusted in Christ. But suffering... Suffering's a bad thing. How can that be a gift? We see the same thing here. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't back away. Don't retreat. Rather, share with me in the suffering. Jump in. Embrace it. Look what the verse goes on to say. According to the power of God. Embrace suffering. And know that the God who calls you to suffer will equip you and strengthen you in your sufferings. When you suffer, God has not abandoned you. Rather, God equips you. God is there with you. God strengthens you in the suffering that he has called you to. In fact, we see that in verses 9 to 11 where he goes on to say, look what God has done. The same God who has saved you, who has called you from death to life, will strengthen you and equip you in the suffering that he has called you to. Therefore, be bold. Look at verse 9. Look what God has done, who has saved us. That's God's doing. Who has called us. That's God's doing. 
with a holy call, not according to our works. God didn't look down and see something in me to where he called me. There was nothing desirous in me. I was a sinner. I was separated from God. I deserved death. It's God's grace alone. He saved us. He called us. Not according to works, but according to his own purpose. Not my purpose, his purpose. And grace which was given to us in Christ before time began. This is something that, that he began before time began. This is a plan that has been long in the works. And yet now it's been revealed. This plan and, and eternity past has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death, who has brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Paul right here has unpacked the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice that it's all about what God has done for us in Christ, not at all about what we have done or could do. And that same God, that same God who has saved you, will strengthen you in the suffering that he has called you to. So do not be ashamed. Rather, joyfully share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. Realize that it's a gift of God. It's something he has called us to. It is a privilege to suffer for the gospel. I love verse 10. When you take into to, to context... Paul's context as he writes this, the fact that he is literally facing death. And yet look how he worded this. He's abolished death. He's brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. A man who is physically facing death is glorying in the life that God has promised him. God has done this in Jesus Christ. He's abolished death. Paul knows that death has no claim on him. As we saw in Romans 8, 1 to 11 last week, there is therefore now no condemnation. And therefore, because there is no condemnation and the same Spirit is in you who raised Christ from the dead, you will rise. Death has no claim on you because there's no condemnation on you in Christ. He's abolished death. He's brought life. He's brought immortality to life through the gospel. God who has done this, and it has been my privilege to preach it. Verse 11. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. This is the message for which I am suffering. This is the message for which I have been called to preach. This is the message for which I will gladly suffer. So of all that God has done for me in Christ, I will gladly spend my life for him. Timothy, join me in this. Don't be ashamed. Rather, get the right perspective. See what God has done for you. 
See what God has done for you and realize that he is still with you. And if preaching the gospel brings suffering, I will preach the gospel all the more. So Paul's challenge to Timothy is do not be ashamed. And what does that look like? It looks like sharing with me in the sufferings of the gospel. It looks like identifying with me. Continuing to preach that gospel. And we see that then in verses 12 to 14. Verses 8 to 11, Paul's challenge to Timothy. Verses 12 to 14, Paul's example to Timothy. It is for this reason, Timothy, for the sake of the gospel, for what God has done for me in Christ, that I also suffer these things. That these things is not a hypothetical. When Paul says these things, he is saying that with chains on his wrists, with chains around his ankles, with soldiers around him. He may, he's in a prison somewhere and he may be able to, to see out the window where they're going to kill him. He may hear the executions going on. this reason I also suffer these things. But, nevertheless, regardless of that, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of where I am because I am not ashamed of how I got here. I got here by preaching the gospel. If I had the chance, I would go back and I would do it all over again. I'm not ashamed. They're trying to shame me. They're trying to put me down. They're trying to shut me up. And yet I will preach all the louder. Because I am not ashamed. Why? How can Paul say that? How can Paul, sitting in prison, facing death, how can he say, I am unashamed when everybody else is ashamed? Because he goes on. Because I know whom I have believed. I know and I am persuaded, I am convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I can say this because I know whom I believe in. I am convinced. They say that this is one of the strongest proofs of the resurrection. Those who claim that while the, the, the apostles faked the, the resurrection, the disciples faked it, they just stole the body. And yet they can never answer if that's true, then why were they willing to die for it? Why would you die for what you know is not true? Paul didn't make up the story. God appeared to him, calling him saving him. Paul didn't just change his mind because he thought he might have a chance to get a bigger audience. Paul was convinced. He was convinced even to death. I know whom I believe. I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. I know that he will hold me fast. I know that if I die here, I will rise. I know that my faith will be sight. 
So if preaching the gospel means pain, I will preach the gospel. If being faithful to the gospel and preaching the gospel means losing friends, means losing influence, I will preach the gospel. If being faithful to the gospel and preaching the gospel means death, I will preach the gospel and I will preach it unapologetically because I am not ashamed. Therefore, Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words. Do not let it slip even a little bit, the, 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 the pattern of sound words, the clear, the faithful gospel. Don't slip, don't wander even a little bit. Be convinced of it. The pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. You've seen this in me. You've heard this in me. Of faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Notice, that's the second time in these verses that he's put boldness, the idea of boldness and love together. Be unapologetically bold but let your unapologetic boldness be marked by love. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It was committed to you. It's not something you made up. It's not yours to change. It's not yours to alter. It's yours to proclaim and to proclaim faithfully. So follow my example by being unashamed. Follow my example by staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ and by boldly, with love, standing for the truth. Paul then goes on in verse 15 to 18. To show other examples. I tried to think of a better name for this point, but I was struggling, so I just went with other examples. He's called Timothy to boldness. He's given Timothy the example of his own life. I have done this. I am suffering right now because I am convinced of this. I am unashamed. I have preached the gospel. I've been faithful to it. Now in verses 15 to 18, he gives Timothy these other examples, these other men. Phygelus, Hermogenes, Onesiphorus. And notice that, that Paul here is not, he's not skewing the data to fit the point he wants to make. He's honest. Look, Timothy. The truth hasn't changed. Be faithful to the truth, but realize all those in Asia have turned away. Everyone. They've all left me. He gives two examples. Phygelus and Hermogenes. <coughs> He's not trying to sugarcoat it for Timothy. A lot of people left, and he only gives one example who stayed faithful. All of those in Asia have turned away. He gives two examples. 
who have turned away. Only one who has stayed faithful. But that doesn't matter. Because it's not the size of the crowd that's following you. It's the truth of the message that you proclaimed. Therefore, be faithful, Timothy. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me. I love that Todd pointed that out. Would we not all want that to be said of us? As we come into contact with people, they go away and they say, on the car ride home or whatever, man, that just, that refreshed me. He is so refreshing to be around. She is so refreshing to be around. He often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my change. When he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. This was not someone who was just kind of standing on the sideline. This is an example to Timothy of someone like Paul says, do not be ashamed. He's told us that Nisiphorus was not ashamed. But share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. And that's exactly what we see here from Onesiphorus. He, he jumps in. He zealously looks for Paul. He's not ashamed of him. He's not ashamed of his gospel. He's not ashamed of his fate. He looks for him. He wants to be with him. He wants to be identified with him. The Lord grants him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. You know very well how many ways he ministered to me. Notice how those who serve faithfully are an encouragement to others. Notice how much of an encouragement this was to Paul. Though everyone was forsaking him, there was one guy, just one. And yet that one refreshed me. That one ministered to me in multiple ways. Brothers and sisters, be that one man. Be faithful. Be zealous for the truth. And this is Paul's challenge to Timothy here. Timothy, be bold. Be faithful. Rest in the fact that the God who calls you will equip you and strengthen you. Stick to the truth. And stick to the truth regardless. Don't look at where the truth may lead you. Don't look at what, what may come into your life because of that. Stick to the truth regardless. Be faithful. Be bold. I don't know about you, but I needed this encouragement tonight. I needed this, this jump start, if you will. Because it's easy. It's so easy to get off track just a little bit. It's so easy to think in terms of what is comfortable, of what is easy, of what brings me happiness, and not to think in terms of what is true. What is most important? Are my priorities right? 
Maybe you needed this this evening. And maybe as we sing our closing song, we're going to sing in Christ alone. Maybe even as we sing that, you just need to sit at your seat and you just need to spend some time in prayer. And you just need to say, I need to recommit. I need to refocus. Christ alone, my hope is found. Not in life, not in comfort, not in success, not in acceptance, not in finances, not in happiness, not in good days, not in my perfect job, not in my co workers. Christ alone, my hope. Because Christ alone is where my hope is found, to Christ alone I will be faithful. In Christ alone I will be bold. Let's stand and let's close by singing in Christ alone.